Guys, good Monday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in our downtown Charlottesville studio in the Macklin building, our audience, every social media platform known to mankind. Today's show presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Who's got your back? Dr. Wagner's got your back. Dr. Wagner's team changing people's lives at Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. This show is interactive. You, the viewer and listener, can shape the discussion by offering your thoughts and comments in the comment field, and we will relay them live on air. Judah Wickhowers, our director, um, really become a key part of the show. Uh, we thank Judah for that. Topics today we will cover the Fifeville killer has been arrested. The Fifeville killer has been arrested. We'll give you some reaction on the Fifeville killer now behind bars. Unfortunately, this killer previously um, was in jail and had his sentence reduced. So a lot of folks that are in the uh, criminal justice reform camp, um, and, and there's no doubt that a lot of our criminal, criminal justice system should be reformed, but in this particular circumstance, it works against the reform narrative because... Um, Tadishi Demetrius Keyes, a 38-year-old, had a pretty significant history of violence, especially as it pertained to guns, drugs, and gangs. We'll give you an update on that, and then Judah Wickhauer and I will offer some reaction to the Fifeville killer behind bars, the reaction to Skeeter Smith and his family, and the reaction to what's next for the community, and of course, some reaction on Michael Kotchis and the Charlottesville Police Department. His first big, um, his first big arrest here, right? This is Mike Kotchis, Charlottesville Police Department, um, newly minted chief. This is his uh, his first big arrest. So we'll talk about that today on the show. We'll also highlight. A new restaurant that is for sale, Firefly in the city of Charlottesville is for sale. I, I've been consistent with my message on this talk show, guys. Restaurants are coming up quickly for sale, and more are coming. I don't want to spill the beans. We've known about Firefly coming on the market for sale for months now. Um, whether this initially happened to be an internal deal selling Firefly to team members and that deal did not work out, now it's on the market and, and you, the viewer and listener, have an opportunity to buy this restaurant. We'll talk about that on today's show. We'll talk about the new business that's coming to the Flaming Walk location on Route 29. I interacted with a Charlottesville City Planning Commissioner over the weekend on Twitter he offered some perspective on what we can expect at the old Flaming Walk location on Route 29. Flaming Walk, Judah, one of my favorite places when it was open um, because you got the uh, little pieces of chopped up shrimp flipped up in the air by oh, yeah. the uh, chef um, at the grill. For those that don't know, in fact, you can go on a two-shot here. Let's welcome yeah. Judah Wickard. We're on, on two-shot two shot. now. The, the, the hibachi style at Flaming Rock where it was as much about the food as it was about the experience of watching the hibachi grill master prepare the food for us and the flicking of the baby shrimp pieces, the chopped up shrimp pieces in the air for us to go, whoa, 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 and try to catch them in our mouth, that made that experience extremely enjoyable. That was my go-to spot for, uh, for birthday, birthday dinner. It was a good one. Yeah. 
You could take sake shots, sake bombs. Oh, yeah. You had the shrimp flipped at you. It was a very communal setting around the hibachi grill where you were kind of like facing everyone. Yeah. Um, It was a special place. I'm going to let you know what the new business is planned for the old Flaming Walk location. It's a a storage facility. A self-storage facility. That's very exciting. (laughs) In that location. Rory Stolzenberg responds to a Twitter thread that I'm a part of over the weekend. And he says, and Rory Stolzenberg is a planning commissioner of Charlottesville City. He said a self-storage company submitted a rezoning request in October. It is still pending. A couple of folks in that Twitter thread were obviously very bored, not impressed that it was a self-storage facility coming to the Flaming Walk location, specifically because of its front-facing location of Route 29, a dining and entertainment shopping corridor. They thought a storage facility perhaps was not the best use of that property. We'll take a deep dive on that on today's show. I also want to talk about something I posted over the weekend. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Charlottesville City is on the short list for... Are you ready for this, Judah? On the short list, Charlottesville City for a regional technology hub. Hmm. And this regional technology hub, also on the short list, Blacksburg, Virginia, and Lynchburg, Virginia, would get funding from the federal government to the tune of $10 billion. Currently, Blacksburg, Charlottesville, and Lynchburg, according to cardinalnews.org, a fantastic website, They are on the short list for federal funding that would allocate $10 billion to Charlottesville City. And this tech hub, regional tech hub, would undoubtedly take Charlottesville as we know it today, an emerging tech market, and take it to another level. This $10 billion short list funding from the federal government is coinciding at the very same time The Data Science School on Ivy Road is near completion or approaching completion. That, of course, led by a $125 million donation from Joffrey Woodruff. Within the last two weeks, we know the Paul Manning family donated $100 million for a biotech institute at Fontaine Research Park. So having a $10 billion federally funded regional tech hub would seem to complement a biotechnology institute and a data science school extremely well. We'll take a deep dive on this, specifically how that's going to change Charlottesville, Virginia. Why don't you go to a one-shot so they can see the headlines back on screen, then we'll weave you in on the Fifeville killer um, arrested and behind bars. I also want to talk about Charlottesville City. The population is declining in the city of Charlottesville. Um, Almoral County is increasing. Louisa County is increasing. But in the city of Charlottesville, the population is down. We'll kind of take a, 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 a deep dive why Charlottesville City's population is declining. I think one word, it's the cost of housing. It's extremely expensive. And if you can't afford to live here, you're not going to get counted in the census. So we'll talk about that on today's show. Ann Malik um, is very near announcing yet another term on the Almoral County uh, Board of Supervisors. Judah, let's test your knowledge here. Why don't we go to a two-shot? Welcome, Judah. Oh, man. Um, Ann Malik, Board of Supervisors. 
How many terms would this be for Supervisor Malik? Oh. Uh, I you can't respond. Oh. Tell us how you really... I hope that's not directed at Supervisor Malik. No, <laughs> Good Lord, at, what a response. It's she watches direct, the show. You know that, right? Directed at me having that kind of knowledge. Well, I'm going to say five. Yes. Yeah. This would be if she gets elected again in November, her fifth term. Well. That is... Um, does that concern you? Five terms? Does that concern me? I mean, I mean we've talked I, before about uh, about, how about How about term limits? Yeah. And I mean, Malik legitimately will be on the board of supervisors if she wins again. And in history, if history's an indicator, she's won four straight terms. So, and she's the incumbent. Yeah. We've got to say she's the favorite to win as a fifth term. A fifth term. Right? Most likely. Yeah. On paper, she's the favorite. Four straight terms, and she's got the value proposition of being an incumbent. Yeah. Okay, we're, we're, we're following closely to see what Steve Harvey's doing in front of the program, whether Harvey's going to run for Board of Supervisors or school board. I think that's perhaps still in, up in the air. There was at a time, well, he announced on this show, Steve Harvey, that he was going to run in the Whitehall District for Board of Supervisors. Literally, he announced it on this show. Then, because of his profession, he chose to work for Ryan Holmes. He chose to run for school board instead. Now the chatter is potentially Board of Supervisors. Okay, but five terms for Supervisor Malik if she wins. She currently is 72, almost 73 years age. I want to ask these questions. Does five terms worry Albor Countyans? Does 73 years old worry Albor Countyans? I'm not trying to be an ageist here, but when the term is over, she's going to be 77, 78. Okay, not trying to be an ageist here. Is a Board of Supervisor who's in her mid-70s to late 70s when the term is over, a reflection or a barometer of Albemarle County citizens? Is it what Albemarle County citizens want in one of six people determining a $500-plus million budget? So we'll take a deep dive on that topic today on the program. I also really, really want to take a deep dive on the uh, 80% of workers who quit during the Great Resignation Remember during COVID when everyone was quitting? Yeah. 80% of those workers now regret quitting. Mm-hmm. 80% of workers who pieced out of their jobs during COVID and the great resignation, as many of us decided to, how would you describe the reaction during COVID with workers? Quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, synonymous to that? Workers determining that they no longer wanted to do the 9 to 5 grind, the 9 to 6 grind. Workers choosing a utility, uh, a minimalist um, or Spartan lifestyle to keep overhead down. I mean, how would you characterize what happened during the great resignation with workers quitting? I mean, that's hard to say. I think there were a lot of different reactions from a lot of different uh, sectors. I think... uh, Some people realized that uh, their jobs weren't just weren't sustainable. Uh, I've said it before. You know, you tell someone they can't come into work for six or twelve months, and uh, and they were barely making ends meet to begin with, and then you want them to go back to the same job now that they're what three thousand, six thousand dollars in debt. And they're just going to go back to a job where they were barely making ends meet. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, I think uh, 
I think others, uh, yeah, I think others just uh, decided that with everything going on, it was time to make a change, time to try something different. Um, and yeah, I'm sure there were other people that were just that just didn't like their jobs, and uh, this seemed like a good enough time, a good time as any. Eighty percent now regretting it. Yeah. We, I don't, we don't know, though, that they would have regretted staying had they all stayed. It could be a case of the grass is greener on the That's other side. That's exactly what it is. And if they had That's stayed... That's the case of what it is. If they had stayed, chances are... Uh, I mean, I doubt anybody would have done a, done a poll on are you, do you regret staying at your job during COVID? I don't think anybody would run that poll, but if they if they had done it and all these people had stayed, I'm pretty sure that a lot of them would be just as just as regretful of staying in their job. I think it's I think part of it is a uh, is a case of the the job market just being trash right now. Well, I think uh, we'll take a deep dive on that, and that topic comes comes into play. Um, I think it's the the definition of thinking the grass is greener. Yeah, I'm sure that's a lot of and it. And then realizing the grass was not, in fact, actually greener when they quit the job. And now what's happened from COVID, when the great resignation was happening and everyone was quitting, now we're post-COVID and still reeling in this inflationary period where things are extremely expensive and folks are getting pinched with their wallets and their purses and their pocketbooks and they're realizing, good Lord, I made a tremendous mistake here. We'll take a deep dive on this. We'll look at it from every perspective today on the I Love Siegel Show. And unfortunately, I have to talk about that UVA loss at Blacksburg, in Blacksburg at Castle Coliseum to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Um, Warrior AG Albert Graves, if you're watching this fair and fine talk show, I want to uh, applaud you and your boys. You're a Virginia Tech fan. You're a Hokie fan that is uh, a legit Hokie fan through and through, um, and I'll give you props when your team does well. You outclassed, outplayed, outworked, out-hustled, out-X-and-O'd um, Virginia basketball on Saturday, a, a very demoralizing loss for Wahoo Nation that was sixth in the country. The lead of the program, um, however, is the Fifeville murderer, the Fifeville killer now arrested. Yeah. I think the, the moniker for... Um, Tadishi <clears throat> Demetrius Keys, the 38-year-old killer, his nickname in perpetuity is now Fifeville Killer. He took the life of Eldridge Skeeter Smith, a 36-year-old father and husband, outside of Fifeville Park, while Skeeter Smith was on his way to the University of Virginia for work. Um, so much to unpack from this. This yeah. was a murder that had, um, due to notoriety and media attention, certainly captivated much of this network for the week and change that we were living in. Yeah. I think we need to highlight the following, and then I want your take. This is Michael Cotches, the new Charlottesville Police Department chief. This is his first big splash on the job. No, not surprising that Cotchis, the police chief, was the one giving the quotes to the media after the Fifeville killer was arrested. Yeah. 
oftentimes you see a spokesman interacting on behalf of the department. For his first big splash, Katja spoke on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to applaud the Charlottesville Police Department for solving this quickly. Definitely. Cotchis asked the community for help because he felt that someone in the community knew what was going on. And he even indicated that Skeeter Smith knew who killed him. Yeah. And proves to be correct. With the help of the community, the Fifeville killer now behind bars. Here's a concerning element of this turn of events. Mm-hmm. Tadishi Demetrius Keys. I think it's Tadashi. Tadashi, is it? It's two A's. I, I mean, I honestly Tadashi, don't know. Tadashi, but... Tadashi. All right, let's go Tadashi. Um, he was previously sentenced to life imprisonment on a drug and gun charge, but had his sentence reduced. Yeah. This guy was a free man for less than six months before he killed again, Judah. Yeah. It's tragic. It's tragedy. And whether you're in favor of criminal justice reform, whether you're opposed to criminal justice reform, whether you would like um, the law and the court to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law, or whether you would like the law and the court to show empathy and offer second and third chances, the reality is this. Tadashi Keys, Demetrius Keys, was released from prison in September. And by January, he had murdered somebody. Yeah. I'll say that again. The Fifield killer was released from prison in September. And by January, he had killed a son, a husband, a father, a buck squad volunteer. Yeah. And a community institution. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot to unpack on this storyline. What strikes you first from the Fifeville killer arrested, from the life imprisonment on drug and gun charges, sentence getting reduced, from him getting out of bars in September, killing in January, conscious, making his big splash, first big splash as chief of the police. So many storylines here, Judah Wickhauer. Yeah, well... I agree. I think Cotchis wisely uh, caught this guy quickly, uh, made a statement about it, um, shows he's working and working hard. Um, I think uh, as sad as it is, I I don't necessarily think that uh, them releasing him was the wrong thing to do. I... uh, I think there's been a lot of inequity in justice in our in our country, and I think them trying to uh, make amends, I guess, in a way, or make things more equitable, I think is overall a good thing. In this case, it turned out it turned out tragically, but there's no way they could have known that uh, that this was going to happen. Uh, I think maybe it speaks more to what we should be uh how we should be what we should be doing to uh to help our uh help our uh inmates to um to be better rehabilitate assimilate themselves back into society see ways that we can truly help them 
improve as men and women, change lives in their course of action, their decision making. Basically, rehabilitation is what we're talking about here. Yeah, helping them prepare for life outside of prison, helping them get uh, get jobs. Um, I mean, I think that's that's what ultimately will keep uh, keep men and women like this uh, from ending up back in back in prison. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think I think that the judge made. Uh, You're saying it's impossible to hold the judge accountable. He couldn't see into the future by reducing the sentence. This is not an indication that criminal justice reform is going poorly. It is one example. And oftentimes how we say with police departments, in a police department, there are bad apples. But those bad apples do not reflect on the entire department. They are anomalies. They are not the norm. That's what you're, you're, you're alluding to, right? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I think we definitely have to be careful when we when we decide to start letting people out of prison uh, willy nilly. But in this case, I mean, the uh, um, what was it? Uh, the uh, the judge, um, I believe, felt that uh, at eighteen he was a little young to be charged for you know to be uh, sent sent to prison for life. Um, and maybe he was right, but in this case, it turned out badly. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a judgment on the, uh, on the decision to set the man free. Fair comment. Fair comment right there from Judah Wickhauer. Well said. On September 21, 2004, the Fifield killer was sentenced to life imprisonment plus 120 months after he was found guilty for conspiracy to distribute 50 grams or more of cocaine and possession and use of a firearm during, in, during and in relation to a drug trafficking crime. Um, that according to the Daily Progress. Here's the question that we have left to answer, at least my primary question that is unanswered. Cautious, the police chief, told us, the community, that he believed Skeeter Smith knew his killer, right? Yeah. He said that. We have not heard from Cotchis or the police department what the motive was for this murder. No, we haven't. We do not know the motive. I feel we deserve as a community to know what the motive was. If you were telling us prior to the arrest that Skeeter Smith likely knew his killer... That is a gateway to the topic of motive. Now, since the arrest, we have not heard any more details on how Skeeter Smith and the Fifield killer knew each other. That's motive. What is the motive behind this murder? Why did someone who was released from jail in September of 2022 kill someone in January of 2023? Motive. What are the ties here? Mm-hmm. That's what we should be asking. I think that's the last question to ask. Motive. What motivated the Fifield killer to take someone's life? I think sometimes motives are opaque until, uh, until a, course, a, court, a, a case gets taken to court and, uh, and hopefully some of the answers come out. Jason Howard, the king of Rio Road, Jerry and Judah. So was there a risk assessment made of this particular individual before his release? 
or once the law was changed regarding crack versus powder cocaine sentencing disparities, was that the only thing considered before sentence reduction? Uh, well, here in the... Uh, the Age daily... was a primary consideration. Yeah. Here in the, uh, the Daily Progress article, it says, in his d- decision to reduce Key's sentence... Uh, Judge Moon referenced Keyes' young age at the time of the original crime, the fact that Keyes was present for but not guilty of murder, as well as the 2010 passing of the Fair Sentencing Act, which reduced sentencing disparities between cocaine and crack cocaine offenses, which were widely criticized for producing racially disproportionate sentencing outcomes. And I don't think I can, I don't think I can fault the judge on any of those. Yeah, I mean, the guy... The guy... Look, the benefit of hindsight, decision-making with the benefit of the hindsight is easy. Yeah. I mean, Matt Daring is watching the program. He calls it Monday morning quarterbacking. That's essentially what we're doing, Monday morning quarterbacking. But the reality is, is an 18-year-old got sentenced to life in prison because he was tied with a, a gang. In the story, they, did, they called the gang by name. I think it was Estes, Estes Inc. Estes yeah. Streak Inc., if you, if you put in Google Maps Estes Street, E-S-T-E-S Street, you'll see this was literally right around the corner of where the murder happened. Hmm. Estes Street, I want you to, is it too much to see if you can get Estes Street on Google Maps with a red circle around it? Uh, How long does that usually take? If it's too long, I totally understand. No, it won't take me long. I just have to get on my other computer. Okay, Estes Street. I'm going to put Estes you on street. a one shot for a second. What's that? Okay, one shot. Estes Street yeah. is parallel to Nall Street. Estes Street is literally across from, like, in the shadows of Corner with the K restaurant. Estes Street is parallel with West Main Street. Estes Street is behind that hotel at the corner of West Main and, and, and 10th, or West Main and Roosevelt Brown. You know, the Hampton Inn? The Hampton by Hilton? Estes Street's right behind that. And in 2004... When Keyes was sentenced to life in jail for his ties to this gang, Estes Street, Inc., he was 18 years old. Okay? You would think that empathy is warranted for potentially an 18-year-old. Still, it leaves you scratching your head. It's, it's, it, I'd, I'd love your perspective here. Maybe what we do is we save that map for tomorrow because I think you're offering valuable perspective. Um, I should have asked before the show started about that. That's okay. I don't. I didn't mean to. I can work on it here too. Um, I just need to get my computer turned on. We know, though, that folks that are against criminal justice reform, and we have one of them that one of the folks that is the biggest proponent, biggest man, and one of the people that is biggest in favor of criminal justice reform is Jim Hingley, who routinely watches this program. He's the Commonwealth Attorney for Admiral County. Yeah. Not only does he routinely watch the program, he sends comments and messages during the show about commentary that we're offering during the show. I have tremendous respect for Jim Hingley, the Admiral County Commonwealth Attorney. I love when he watches the show. I love when he offers his comments on stuff we're talking about and shapes the discussion. He's a huge... He ran a campaign on criminal justice reform, and Admiral County voters put him into office. He was on this set during his campaign and after his campaign talking about criminal justice reform. Yeah. I, a lot of what Jim Hingley stands for, a lot, 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 I am all in favor of. Yeah. However, what happened here when someone is released from jail in September 
after having his sentence reduced, and then he goes and kills in January, we know that folks are going to utilize that to knock or, or, or to put down criminal justice reform. Yeah. And that's just human nature. Right. That's human nature. I think the next steps we need, we would like to hear from Cochis, the chief of police. What was the motive of this killing? Yeah. Follow-up question if to that know. should be this. Follow-up question to that. Just saw David Toscano walking by right there. Follow-up question. Do we have a gang violence problem? Is uh, it time to eventually admit, if you're conscious in the police, that all these murders are related? Because right now the line from the police is that the murders are not related and they're isolated events. Should we get true clarity and transparency from the police department on the motive and true transparency and clarity from the police department, Judah, on the um, gang-related nature, if there is gang-related nature for all these shootings that have happened in the last 30 to 60 days? Yeah, I think it would definitely be... Uh, I think it would definitely be enlightening and, um, and uh, beneficial for us to have some word on, on the connection between, you know, every everything. I don't think anybody is not aware of the uh, uh, the number of the number of sh- of uh, gunshots that have been heard around Charlottesville in the last uh, the last few months. Yeah, and with the ubiquitous nature of social media, that chatter especially tied to gun violence or gun shooting, spreads like wildfire. Spreads like wildfire, and it really has spread like wildfire of late. So that's what I'd like to see. Uh, Police Chief Cotches, your your spokesman, Kyle Irvin, was watching our morning program. Um, You guys routinely listen to this show. Police Chief Cotches, I would love to have you on the show, sir. I'd love to introduce you to the community. I'd love to get your feel with how your job's going so far, and I would treat you with tremendous respect, Police Chief Conscious. I would not use shock jock journalism. I would ask you reasonable questions like, what's the motive behind this murder? How significant is the gang violence problem that we have in Charlottesville and Almora County? How do we fill the vacancies in your police department? And how have you done so far with creating a community-oriented police force? I'll ask you questions like that that I think are very fair and applicable, but I would not use shock jock journalistic tactics while you were on the program, sir. You have my word. And in fact, if you ask around, people would also confirm that I would not do stuff like that to you, sir. Um, Skeeter Smith's family, maybe some closure. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe with the murderer now behind bars, maybe. We're still praying for your family, especially for your kids. We'll grow up without a father. Yeah. Praying for you guys. Um, what's next? Before we go to the next subject, what's next on the Fifeville murder? It's the, it's the motive answer, and it's how serious is the gang problem answer. That's what's next. Now, let's go to a different storyline, and this is something we've been kind of hinting at that's going to happen for a while. Uh, The Firefly restaurants for sale. More restaurants are coming on the market, guys. I know of six that are about to hit the market. Six established restaurants locally. Firefly is now for sale. 
Melissa, the owner, took over the restaurant after her boyfriend at the time passed away. Rest in power. Melissa carried the legacy of Firefly um, as much because she enjoyed it, but also as much because she was carrying on the legacy of her deceased boyfriend who wanted to do this business. Firefly is an intriguing business. It's a massive space. Have you ever been? Oh, yeah. It's a massive space. They have arcade games, skee-ball, pool table, massive bar. They have some outside seating. They have parking. The proximity proximity to downtown is there. It's a neighborhood bar. Happy hour is good. Price points on the menu are fair. Fantastic restaurant. Here's the reality of owning a restaurant in 2023. Finding someone to work for you is extremely difficult. And the people that do want to work for you don't want to work long hours and they want to pay top dollar. On top of that, cost of goods is through the roof right now. And you cannot pass on those cost of goods to consumers without pricing them out of your business model. In particular, a business model like this that is pub fare. There's only so much money someone's going to spend on a sandwich or a burger and an appetizer in a setting like Firefly where kids are running around, families are running around, and it's loud. So profit margins have been eviscerated, been absolutely eviscerated. The idea was to sell Firefly to folks on staff. Hmm. That deal did not materialize. Everyone wants to continue the legacy of a restaurant by selling a restaurant or a business to a team member, a key team member, a trusted team member who's emotionally and physically invested in the brand or business. The reality is when you have to go to a bank and get financing, not everyone has the credit score or the savings or the financial know-how of putting a business model together to get a loan, a commercial loan to buy a business. And if you think buying, getting a loan to buy a house is difficult, as someone who brokers a boatload of business deals, getting a loan to buy a business is exponentially more difficult than getting a loan to buy a house. Okay? There's not many folks that want to lend money to first-time entrepreneurs to buy a business, in particular a restaurant business in a saturated market like this. Before we go to the next topic, Firefly for sale in the city of Charlottesville. What do you make of this, Judah Wickhauer? I mean, with, uh, with the businesses that we've seen up for sale, it's not really surprising. Um, I hope they do find someone who is willing to uh, continue the, continue the, the brand. Um, I've always liked them. Uh, they got Firefly's great, great. They've got great tachos. Yeah. And um, I like their, um, I like their, um, what do you call it? Uh, tater tot nachos. Is that what you call them? The yeah. tachos? Yeah. yeah. Those are great. Tater tachos, something yeah. like that. Tachos um, are great. Yeah. I love those. They have, I've, I've had brunch there. They do great brunch. The um, only slight strategic error I saw from Firefly and from owner Melissa was the selling of the food truck. Hmm. She recently sold the food truck. Was it to the pharmacy team? I don't know. I think it was the pharmacy team, another food service business. Selling the business with the food truck was how I would have sold Firefly. Hmm. Piecemealing the food truck prior to the sale of the restaurant, I think, impacts the potential of the business. When we sold Moe's Barbecue on Ivy Road, yeah. 
the addition of a food truck was a was a selling point? It was a selling point for Derek Bond to buy it from Mike and Ashley Abrams. Yeah. He knew he was buying a brick and mortar restaurant, Ivy, Moe's on Ivy Road, Derek Bond, who owns the melting pot. And then he also knew the food truck was included in the deal. So that offered promise for him. Yeah. Potential. It was a sweetener. Sweet, it was a sweetener. It was great. And that's what helped get that deal through the finish line. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a six-figure deal we, did, we brokered there. Um, all right. Let's go to the interaction I had with Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg on Twitter. The old Flaming Walk location has now, and many of you guys have seen this on Route 29, there's an under contract sign on the Flaming Walk location. Um, Rory Stolzenberg responds to the thread I'm in with friend of the program, John Blair. Rory Stolzenberg's a friend of the program. I like you, Rory. I think you're good people, Rory Stolzenberg. I like when you come on the show, Rory. You're very, you're very, um, you're very knowledgeable, Rory. You read a lot. You read a lot. Uh, he indicated in that thread with myself and John Blair that a self-storage company has submitted a rezoning request this past October, which is still pending, for that flaming walk spot. Yeah. Look, I'm a free market guy, and I don't want the government telling entrepreneurs and landowners what they can do with their land. Yeah. But the question is this. Is a self-storage facility the best use of that land on Route 29? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I feel like it's less of a, less of a dining corridor, um, but it is, it is sad to see that go to something. And, and are they, I've seen a lot of self-storage units going up lately. There's a boatload. Is, is there well, you know really, why that is. Is there really a need for that much? I think so. You know why that is? I, I, store, I, I responded to this. Storage facilities are fantastic businesses. Here's why they're fantastic businesses. They can be automated, which means you need very little labor. Yeah. You enjoy monthly reoccurring membership or reoccurring monthly revenue streams, i.e. renting the storage units. The owners of the storage units, it's a hands-off investment. Yeah. So you get the revenue that comes from the business itself. Then on top of that, you're essentially banking the land and going to enjoy the appreciation of the land and Almore on the city as it continues to gain value. Here's the question. Here's the curious aspect of all this. The flaming walk location on Route 29, you would say that is a coveted piece of dirt. It's on Route 29, a boatload of cars drive by. You wouldn't say it's off the beaten path. You would say it's very much in the, uh, what's the word, hubbaloo? Hullabaloo? Yeah, right? It's very much in the excitement and and the shopping and the entertainment. It's a a popular area. Yeah, it's pretty central. I mean, it's it's pretty much midway between between Stonefield and... uh, and the stuff across the street and, uh, and, the, and the Fashion Square Mall. So, so my, my point is this. The only curious aspect of this deal is buying that land not cheap. Oftentimes you see storage facilities off the beaten path right. where the dirt is cheap. Yeah, back behind woolen mills. Yeah, uh, cheap dirt means less debt service every month to develop the project. This is arguably 
one of the most expensive pieces of dirt when, if the storage facility is approved, right? It's pending right now. If the storage facility is in, uh, approved, you can make a legitimate argument that of all the storage facilities in Charlottesville-Nalmoro County, it may have the most expensive dirt associated with it. And people ask, is there a market for storage facilities and car washes? Everyone, are you seeing car washes left and right? I've been seeing... A ton of them, right? I've been seeing people asking, where's a good car wash? Why are car washes and storage facilities springing up left and right in this area? Because we got more people coming in. There's a boatload of money in this area. There's a boatload of affluence in this area. And storage facilities and car washes are amenities that are associated with affluence and wealth. Boatload of money. That's why you're seeing these facilities pop up. So if you're just tuning into the program, the Flaming Walk, Route 29, the land under contract, and according to Planning Commissioner Stolzenberg, a storage facility is looking for approval after submitting a rezoning request in October. It's still pending. Um, next my, topic. My question is, when are we getting a, another uh, hibachi place around here? That's a great question. Last time I, uh, let's see, I think it might have been a couple years ago, my sisters were in town, and uh, we, went to, we went to Waynesboro. Found a for hibachi, the hibachi? Found a hibachi place for my birthday. Did you catch the shrimp flipped in the air to you? Of course. Did you ever, I've seen you. you. You're very good at stuff like that. Good spatial awareness, I think. Yeah, you're good at spatial awareness. Was the shrimp flipped in the air for you? Oh, yeah. Did they, you catch it? Yeah. Did, which did of the, your family members missed the shrimp flying through the air and had the shrimp strike them in the eye or the jugular or stain their shirt? I'd, you I can call them out. Don't okay. have that clear memory of... <laughs> which of the Wickowers got the stained shirt or caught the shrimp piece in the eye? I don't remember, but... Uh, Not I, Big Jim? I, I, do, I do love the, uh, the uh, onion volcanoes that they make. Those are always a highlight as well. Um, Matt um, and Katie Pearl says, Sakura by Target is amazing, Judah. You should try it. There's a Sakura by Target... That's hibachi, and it's absolutely amazing. All right. You make a note, a put that on the family chat. Yeah. That could be the uh, Sunday after church dinner spot. Yeah. If right? If we're willing to go out there. I mean, you just have to drive. You just yeah. have to drive 29 hours. Uh, KTP, good call. Katie, uh, Tra- Katie Pearl is the uh, queen of Whitehall, and she routinely makes this program better. Katie, we love when you watch the show, KTP. Um, Charlottesville doesn't have hibachi city. The closest yeah. hibachi you have to go is 29 north to Target. That's interesting. I just yeah. learned something from KTP right there. Yeah. Um, I want to make a clear uh, a correction. Anonymous, the I Love Sebo version of Deep Throat, is sending me DMs on Twitter. So the $10 billion for the regional technology hubs is for all the hubs in totality. So if... Charlottesville is awarded um, one of these hubs. It would be three hundred to five hundred million for Charlottesville. Gotcha. Not Still- the ten billion in totality. Thank you for that clarification. He's exactly right. I misspoke when I said that. A ten billion, ten billion in totality for these regional hubs. If Charlottesville gets it, they would get three hundred to five hundred million 
if they are awarded one of these hubs. Lynchburg and Blacksburg are also on the short list. This hub would happen. Um, I think Charlottesville's the front runner. I've said I think Seville's the front runner for the following reasons. Charlottesville, I think, will attract workers from Richmond and Northern Virginia. The Northern Virginia and Richmond workforce has a much longer drive to Blacksburg and Lynchburg than it does Charlottesville. And a technology hub needs to attract workers from Northern Virginia and Richmond. Second, I think a regional technology hub funded by the federal government would complement very well. Some could call it vertically integrate extremely well with a data science school and with a biotech institute. Okay. Jeffrey Woodruff's $125 million donation for the data science school and Paul Manning's $100 million donation for the biotech institute are literally perfect complements for a regional technology hub. Yeah. What are the fatal flaws or the collateral damage of this? The fatal flaws are where, where are we going to house all the, all the new people? What's it going to do to the community? What's it going to do to home values? Where are these people going to live? How many jobs from outside the area? How many jobs in this area are filled by people from outside the area? I mean, is, is this gonna, another gentrifying force? Is it going to finish gentrifying the rest of Seaville? That's, there we go. <laughs> Do you, if, you have, if you have a biotechnology institute opening at the same time of a data science school, opening at the same time of a regional technology hub, opening at the same time that the University of Virginia just got the most applicants in UVA history for the class of 2027, yeah. at the same time that Willowtree is hiring from outside the area and within the area to expand its wor- workforce, we all know science, technology, engineering, math, and this tech hub uh, from the private market is emerging and booming. Is this further going to gentrify the area? And when will we, will we look back five years from now and say, this was the time, this 12 to 18-month period, where Charlottesville truly became Silicon Valley? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to have a slow, uh, a slow drip of, of these workers coming in. If they, uh, once they get these things built, they're going to need lots of people. Exactly. And uh, I, somebody's got... I'm, Somebody's got to have a plan for how they're going to fit them all in here, but uh, um, is it a good plan? We don't know. Um, Bill McChesney watching the program, he leaves a good comment on the storage facility. He said the community self-storage facility on Rio Road behind the putt-putt is managed by the same person. They also rent U-Haul trucks and trailers. It's a multifaceted operation. That's, that, usually, that's the way a lot of them work. I, 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 used, my, to, I used to use the one, uh, the one behind the putt-putt. And yeah, I've rent, I've done everything from rent uh, rent U-hauls to uh, to blankets and and uh, push carts, and uh, had big spaces and small spaces. There. And you also banged your ball through the windmill and got a hole in one on number seventeen. <laughs> Don't wish. forget about doing that. And then you celebrated, yay! You celebrate. No, but I he's exactly right. The mayor of McIntyre is exactly right. My wife and I and our son, before our youngest boy was born, we went and played putt-putt, and it's like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid at the time was managing the U-Haul, the storage facility, and the putt-putt, and he was driving from business to business on the same parcel of land in a golf cart Hmm. to manage them all. And oftentimes, he's not at the window of putt-putt, so they encourage you to start play at putt-putt and then pay when you finish your round. Interestingly, those businesses, the putt-putt, the storage facility, and the U-Haul, Owned by Wendell Wood's brother. 
How long have they been connected? Because I don't. Uh, For as long as I can remember, they've been connected. Okay. Bill McChesney, how long have those been connected? I've been here 23 years, and for as long as I can remember, those businesses have been connected. Because when I was using that storage space, it was always, uh, during business hours, somebody in the, the uh, storage space office. Bob Yarborough says, what's happening in Charlottesville feels like Austin, Texas, man. Anonymous on Twitter. Anonymous, are you still watching? He has said multiple times on this show, the I Love Seville Network's version of Deep Throat, that Charlottesville's future very well could be Austin, Texas. When we look back down the road, when my sons are in high school and middle school, will we look back to 2023 and 2024 data science school, biotech institute, and potential regional technology hub? We're talking, good Lord, if you combine those all together, Let's call it three. Let's call it. It's either three hundred to five hundred million for the regional uh, biotech hub. If if UVA, if Charlottesville is approved by federal government, yeah. let's just let's just say that number is four hundred. We'll split the difference and say four hundred. So four hundred for that. The Paul Manning Institute was was jump started by a hundred million from Paul Manning, but there was also money contributed by UVA and the Commonwealth. I think that was three hundred and fifty million in totality. Hmm. So 400 million and 350 million is 750 million for those two. Then what Joffrey Woodruff is doing with the data science school, he donated a million, uh, 125 million himself. The largest donation in UVA history was that 125 million from Joffrey Woodruff for the yeah. data science school. And then he got more money for the, from University of Virginia from that. Guys, you're talking legitimately those three projects, $1 billion roughly back of the napkin of investment for those three projects in Charlottesville. Yeah. A billion dollars for those three projects in little old Charlottesville, Virginia, and the Blue Ridge Mountains. If you do not think that this is going to have massive gentrification impacts on this community, you are not reading the tea leaves correctly. Anonymous is watching. He says there are many old timers in Austin, Texas, who, if they had a time machine, would literally block the roads to stop Apple, Facebook, and Tesla from bringing offices to Austin, not to mention blowing up the big luxury downtown projects, projects before they topped out. And guys, Anonymous, who's watching on Twitter, lived in Austin, Texas. He lived in Austin, Texas. So Bob Yarborough, the king of Redfields on Facebook, is interacting with Anonymous on Twitter saying, we're turning into Austin, Texas. And Anonymous last year told us we were turning into Austin, Texas. He literally told us. He also talked about the zoning and how we're upzoning right now. God, we're not even talking about upzoning today. And that upzoning is becoming very much a reality in the city of Charlottesville here. Anonymous said last year, when all this stuff is upzoned, you're not going to get affordability. You're going to get expensive high-rises, apartments, and condos. And he showed us, remember the video we played of Austin that he did? You yeah. should play that video one more time of him. Bob Yarborough, I read this live on air. Thank you for watching King of Redfields. The King of Redfield's Bob Yarborough also indicated to us in a direct message that the Waffle House on 5th Street is being currently uh, developed. He says, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to discover who's going to occupy the former Waffle House on 5th Street. It looks like they're building out the interior. The Wickhowers would want to know what's going on there with your parents living on that side of town. Waffle House is being developed right now, J-Dubs. As what, though? That's what he wants to know. He hopes it's a sports bar. 
Um, Carol Thorpe says, how much do you think having an unstable, incomplete city government will impact Charlottesville's chances at federal funding for the tech hub? It's a good question, Carol. I, I think right now, and tell me if you agree or disagree with this, I think right now the government locally is pretty stable. Would you say? I mean, there's certainly no, uh, they're certainly all, all on the same side of the aisle, so yeah. I mean, certainly more stable than the uh, Nakaya Walker term. No doubt. And I- Nakaya Walker over the weekend um, said she hates the daily regress on Facebook, on social media. That was in direct response to how they covered the Fifield killer, killer's arrest. Hmm. Um, Vanessa Parkhill's watching. She's the queen of Earliesville. She says, Sakura in the Hollymead Town Center is near Target. She lives on that side of town. I think Vanessa <clears> likes <throat> that. And she wants to know, is the storage facility on 29 going to be uh, multi-story, like the one on hydraulic near the laundromat? I would imagine it's going to be multi-story. But that's a question for the uh, um, Planning Commissioner Rory Stolzenberg. Rory, are you watching the show? If you are, let us know. Curtis Shaver, friend of the program, Curtis Shaver, recently engaged, soon to marry the beautiful Jules. Curtis Shaver. He says, Jules and I went to Socorro in Hollymead Town Center. It was great. It's hibachi, and we both missed the shrimp. You didn't catch the shrimp, Curtis? Did it stay in your shirt, or did it, did it fall in that lush, that lush beard of yours? Were you pulling out shrimp of your beard, Curtis, because the shrimp fell in there, or did it fall on your shirt and stained it? Were you wearing a hat? Was it a, a snapback? Did it stain your hat? Did it hit your head? How did you not catch that shrimp, Curtis? You have great hand-mouth coordination. Actually, that wouldn't even be hand-mouth coordination. That would just be eye-mouth eye mouth. Coor- eye coordination, right? Yeah. Eye-mouth coordination. Or mouth-eye coordination. Mouth-eye coordination. Thank you for keeping me on point. That's why you get paid the big bucks right there. Mouth-eye coordination. Um, Charlottesville's population is down. Louisa County is booming. What do you make of Charlottesville's population being down? Affordability. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know much directly about, tied to affordability. I don't know much about Louisa, but uh, I imagine it uh, can't be less affordable than Charlottesville, can it? John, John Blair started a thread on Twitter. In the two years since the census, here's the actual amount of people moving in or out of local cities and counties. Albemarle County is plus 2,877 people. Augusta, plus 636. Fluvanna, plus 610. Green County, plus 517. Louisa County, plus 2,193. Nelson County, plus 188 people. Rockingham, plus 456 people. Harrisonburg, plus 440 people. Stanton, plus 376 people. Waynesboro, plus 399 people. The only jurisdiction down in the two years since the census is Charlottesville City, with a decline of 141 people. And the source for this information, according to John Blair, is the uh, the components of an Excel table found at demographics.coopercenter.org. Charlottesville is down in population. The only thing you can attribute that to is affordability, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not down so far that uh, jobs it's are here. like a, a diaspora. I mean, but, a um, decline of... When all the neighboring ones are up, I mean, Louisa's up 2,193. What's the population of Louisa County? Let me look that up. 
And you keep talking. Please, sir. Um, uh, Louisa, I'm sorry. I just asked you to talk, and then I stopped interrupted <laughs> you. Here. Go ahead. I mean, I don't know that I have a whole lot to say. Uh, you you, li you uh, listed off a whole lot of numbers, uh, and I don't know how much they mean to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, Seville uh, is seeing... Uh, you know, a, a spike in house prices. It's seeing a, uh, uh, a spike in, in everything. Everything. Yeah. What? 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 What thing in Charlottesville has dropped in price? If we could name one thing in the city of Charlottesville that has dropped in price, viewers and listeners, what would it be? What has dropped in price in the city of Charlottesville? Gas went down a little bit recently. Oh, gas hasn't <laughs> gone down in the last two years. Well, yeah, it has. In the last two years, like a few weeks ago, it was in the beginning three, of COVID. It was three fifty. During COVID, it was like a buck eighty. I'm, I'm not, saying in the last two years, the same period of this census, what has dropped in price? Yeah. Name okay. one thing that has dropped in price in the city of Charlotte. Anyone? Can anyone name one thing in the last two years that's gone down in price? I can't. Can you? I can't think of anything. A single thing. No idea. Right? I mean, maybe the only thing you can think of, I, I can't think of a single thing. Louisa County's population is 38,848. 38,848. So when Louisa County jumps 2,193 people, you're talking. 5%. You're talking more than that. You're talking 6, 7% of the population there. Did you say 38,000? 38,848. And it went up. 38,848 times 6%. Eh. Yeah, you're looking at... Your, your, your guess was good. Five, five and a half percent. Five and a half percent uptick in population is massive. What does Louisa County have? You know what Louisa County has? I'll take it a step further. Affordability with its houses, and it put kids to, in schools during COVID. In yeah. COVID, Louisa County was a leader with having kids in classrooms hmm. as opposed to learning from home. They solved the bus driver issue, remember? Where they had kids on school on time and home on time, and kids were learning in classrooms and not remotely at Louisa. They were first to go on market. Yeah. Affordability and kids learning in classrooms at Louisa County. That's, I'm, sh I'm sure that's massive for parents. Math. Forget about it. Monday after a weekend... Get that damn kid in school. God, we love Somebody our kids. Take this monster Someone get this kid in school. Ah. Charlottesville's population in the last two years, guys, from a census standpoint, is down 141 people. All right, very quickly here, and then we got a 2 o'clock TV shoot, J-Dubs. You got 2 o'clock, and we're going to be sprinting out of here. Um, Warrior AG is watching the program. Albert Graves in Crozet. Congratulations to your Hokies for winning um, on Saturday in Blacksburg. You guys played a hell of a game, man. Virginia Tech, their record is not an indication of the talent they have on the roster. They've lost a lot of close basketball games. And Virginia Tech, from start to finish, controlled that ball game against Tony Bennett and the Wahoos. When Las Vegas had this as a pick 'em at tip-off, it was an even line. It was very clear that this was going to be an absolute dogfight. And the Hokies came out and played. They beat the number six team in the country on their home floor, and their crowd rushed the court. UVA basketball continues to frustrate 
with these scoring droughts. I would not be surprised if Isaac McNeely gets even more minutes. He got 20-plus minutes against the Hokies. He is the best outside shooter on this team. Franklin is a streaky shooter. Vanderstash is a streaky shooter. Even Beekman and Clark can be streaky with their jump shots. McNeely is the true, pure jump shooter. I would not be surprised if he gets more minutes. Virginia basketball, tough loss against the Hokies. For the Virginia Tech fans that are watching this program, you guys played a hell of a game. And hopefully that is, I mean, that's your best win of the season. You're going to need a few more wins like this to get into the big dance, Virginia Tech men's basketball. But that's a great springboard for you to finish the year strong. Remember, the Hokies won the ACC tournament last year to get into the big dance. Virginia Tech, do not sleep on this team. They got great guard play. Great guard play. We'll close on this, and then we'll get to your comments. Put your comments in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Um, 80% of workers regret, regret quitting their job during the Great Resignation. Are those 80% of workers currently, as the job market has gotten way tighter, are they now significantly underemployed? That's a topic for tomorrow's show. The 80% of workers that quit during the Great Resignation, are they now significantly underemployed versus their status during COVID when they had their job? If they're regretting it, that's in a clear sign that they're underemployed and, making, and not making the same kind of money. We'll talk about all those topics and more tomorrow on the I Love Seville show as Judah Wickhauer and I sprint to a TV commercial shoot on Route 29. So long, everybody.